Amen? So, right now, what I want you to do is turn to the person next to you. Say, I'm a righteous fox. All right. I want you to turn to the person to the other side and tell them the same thing. There you go. All right. If you want to take out one of those Bibles uh, from the, the pews, or if you have your Bible, we're going to be in Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6, verses 18 through 15. And uh, can you guys hear me well? Yeah. Okay. I've got this water here. I preached here this morning, and I didn't drink this water then. And I was standing there, and I was like, man, I'm dry. And then I remembered this water. It's probably got some dust in it. kind of tastes like pencil lead, but uh, it's Okay. Am I the only one who thinks old water tastes like pencil lead? Y'all think that? You know what's really scary about that is to know what pencil lead tastes like, it means at one point in your life you put a pencil in your mouth. I'm guilty. All right. Open up to Acts chapter 6. And uh, we're going to talk about one of my heroes of the Bible and heroes of the faith, the first recorded Christian martyr. You could make the case that John the Baptist was the first uh, Christian martyr. I'm going to go with Stephen, because he was the first one after the uh, resurrection of Christ. And uh, in Acts chapter 6 and 7, we know Stephen's story. We get Stephen's story. We're going to jump around a bit this morning, or this, this morning, tonight. It's not the morning. Though some of you are acting like it was the morning when we were singing. Ooh, ooh. So, uh, tonight we're going to jump around it a little bit. I'm going to skip the first seven verses and just kind of sum them up for you and let you know that the story is basically this, that at the church at the time you got the Greek Jewish people, they're Jewish, but they're from Greek descent, and then you've got the Jewish Jewish people. You with me? Okay, let's say this side of the church were the Greek Jews and this side of the church were the Jew Jews. And the Jewish Jewish people felt like they were, they had it going on. It's like, we're all Jewish, okay? You guys are Jewish, but you got some Greek too. We're all Jewish, okay? We're God's people. So they weren't giving much food to the Greek Jewish people, and the Greek Jewish people were complaining. And Peter and his boys, they're busy preaching, they're busy praying, they're busy doing the things that apostles do and preachers do, and they're like, we don't have time to be messing around with this issue, so what we're going to do is appoint seven godly men to take care of it. And that's what they did. And Stephen was one of those men. And we know from Scripture that one of the reasons they picked Stephen is because he was full of the Holy Spirit and full of faith. And the reason I want to talk about Stephen tonight is I think he was full of something else. And that's a passion for legacy. And that is something that every believer, especially teenagers, need to be full of. A passion for legacy. And legacy is basically this. It's a desire for the kingdom of God to expand when you're gone. And that might mean gone from this earth. That's kind of the big picture. But let's, let's focus more on when you're gone from your school. I'm talking about when you graduate. When you leave your school, what are you leaving behind? What is your legacy? Is it how many boys or girls you dated? Is it how you dressed? Is it if you had the newest belt buckle from Abercrombie and Fitch? I can't even go in that store. Because you walk in that store, it's like a techno club. Like you go in, there's perfume everywhere, and it just stinks. And it's just... And some guy that looks like he's from Southern California pops out of the bag. He's like, hi, can I help you? And it's just... It's a weird scene. I don't like being there. Um, I stay away. All, all the parents are like, yes, preach it, brother. Um, I don't like going in there. 
But are they going to remember you because of how much Abercrombie and Fitch you wore? Are they going to remember you because of the fact that you could sing, because you were a great football player? What are they going to remember you for? I think it's a sad case if a believer goes to a high school for four years and they walk away and they're not remembered for the fact that they lived for Jesus Christ and that Jesus Christ's kingdom is continuing to expand in that place because of what they did. An example would be, I'd I'd hate to put her on the spot, she's not here so I'm going to, a girl named Brianna Williams that a lot of you probably know who fired up this discipleship program called the Grasshoppers and now you know she, she was discipling and pouring her life and training young girls, some of them are in our youth group, I've never seen 6th and 7th grade girls take notes during a sermon. I mean, pages and pages of notes. And a lot of it is a result of the fact that this girl, Brianna, left a legacy behind, and she's still working with it even though she's in college. What will your legacy be? How is the kingdom of God going to continue to expand after you're gone? I think Stephen had a great legacy. And that's what we're going to talk about. All right. That's Acts 6, 1 through 7. Basically, all you need to know is that Stephen... Had it going on, he's serving the food, but he got into a little argument with the freedmen. These are Jewish people who had been enslaved by the Romans, then they got freed. And he got into an argument with them, I guess it was public, they probably got shut down, you're going to see in just a second, Stephen was a pretty good public speaker, and I guess they got shut down, they didn't like it, so they start kicking up some dust and telling some lies on Stephen, and whenever you start doing good things for God, and you're full of faith, and you're full of the power of the Holy Spirit like Stephen... Satan's always going to come after you. Remember that. And he might come after you by getting somebody to, to, to try to lie on you, somebody to throw a, a wet rag on your fire. That's what Satan does. So Stephen's got that happening. They start telling lies about him. They spread those lies. Some of those lies we can see. Um, verses 9, find out these freedmen are against him. Verses 11 through 14, let's look at the lies. It says, they secretly induced men to say, you've heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people, and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him to the council. Now you want to get in trouble in Stephen's day? Talk bad on Moses. Like that's all it took. You don't talk bad on Moses. You don't talk behind Moses' back. Okay, so they accuse Stephen of that. And they take him to the council, which is probably the Sanhedrin, which is a group of about 70 Jewish men, and they're older, and they have the power to make you dead if they want. All they got to do is say guilty, and you're dead. Very powerful men in this community. So they're lying about Stephen, saying that he's talking bad about Moses, and that he's talking bad about God. They set up false witnesses who said, This man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against this holy place in the law. For we have heard him say, Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs which Moses delivered to us. Well, there's two lies in one verse. Jesus said, yes, I'll destroy this place and I'll build it up again in three days, but he was talking about his body. So they took that, they distorted it. And yes, Jesus came and and, and it would seem like maybe he was changing the law of Moses. Actually, he was just fulfilling it. And they said a lot of things were the law of Moses that weren't even the law of Moses. Stuff they had made up and tacked on. Moses didn't even say that stuff. And Stephen didn't like that stuff, so they didn't like Stephen. So Stephen gets himself into some some trouble. He gets on trial. And all who sat in the council, looking steadfastly at him, saw his face as the face of an angel. You want to talk about the peace that surpasses all understanding? He let's not make a mistake. He's on death row, okay? He he is up there, and, and if they say guilty, if they convict him of these accusations, he's gonna die, and he's well aware. Yet he's got this face of an angel. 
Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm them, that kind of freaks me out. I'm like, what with this guy? You know, he's up here. He's about to die. We got him in the cuffs. We got the shackles on his feet. You know, his, his, the, 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 what's it, the death toll bell is tolling or rolling or ringing or something like that. You guys with me? You know what I'm talking about? What is it? Somebody help me. The bell was tolling. There you go. Oh, the bell tolls or something. It's something like that. Nonetheless, whatever the bell is, and it's tolling, okay? It's ringing, and, and, and it's calling Stephen's name. He knows it. His, his time is up here. Yet he's got the face of an angel. Now, I encourage you to read all of chapter 7, Miss Pam. I, I, when I was writing this, I was like, man, if Miss Pam's there, she's not going to like me skipping over verses. But, uh, but y'all read it, okay? Y'all read chapter 7 at some point. But I'm just going to summarize some of what Stephen says. He stands up. It's kind of like they put him up. like, all right, Stephen, let's hear your defense. He doesn't get up and go, um, look, I'm really sorry. I apologize. Shouldn't have said this stuff. I know. I'll just, I'll go back. I'll serve the tables. I'll quit being full of faith in the Holy Spirit and get on with my life. He doesn't get up and try to defend himself. He, he, he just basically stands up and tears into him. He stands up and he looks these 70 men who have the ability to kill him in the face and he goes off on them. I mean, he just completely debates them and, and, and he shuts them down. Let's see what he says. He gives them a history lesson on their own heritage. Keep in mind, Jewish people pride themselves on knowing their own history. So for Stephen to stand up and basically say, hey, I, I don't think you guys really understand what's going on here. That's offensive in the first place. Listen, he stands up and he tells them, it all started with Abraham, and then came Isaac, and then his son Jacob, and then the twelve fathers of Israel. And then you have Joseph, whom you guys rejected. The twelve fathers rejected Joseph, and they sent him off into slavery in Egypt. He's out there, he's in prison, he, he, he made it, and God ended up using the thing to keep the Jewish people from starving. But then, you, and you're in slavery, so then he brings up Moses, and you guys rejected him too. And then, after you rejected Moses, you rejected God by building a little golden calf. Can you imagine? They're starting to get a little bit upset, but he's not done. He hasn't even got there yet. Then he starts talking bad on the temple. You don't talk bad on the temple, okay? So he starts talking about the temple, and he says, you know, God told you he didn't need a place to live, but you tried to build him this temple. The God, who was not made by hands, you tried to put him in a little place that was made by hands. Now you're worshiping this temple. And you don't even understand that the real tabernacle is in heaven. Oh, they don't like that. A lot of their power comes from the temple, so they're getting upset. But this is still just the build-up. Let's, let's catch up with what he says in verse 51. Chapter 7, verse 51. If you're with me, say hoo-ha. That wasn't good. If you're with me, say hoo-ha. Okay. Verse 51. Oh, man. This is the biggest, like... What's the three-finger snap thing? I can't do it. One of you girls do it. Uh-huh. Sarah, can you stand up, please, and do that? Yes. This is the biggest one ever, okay? Verse 51. You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in the heart and ears. Get back. You always, he said, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. He says, you stiff-necked, you know, stiff-necked, and uncircumcised in the heart and ears. You know what he's telling these guys? He's saying you got dead skin around your heart and dead skin around your ears, so you can't feel God and you can't hear God. He's talking to men who think they're more godly than any Jew ever. And he, he's like, you ain't even saved. 
And not only that, your fathers, they, were, they couldn't hear God or feel God either. You always resist God, in fact. Well, this doesn't make them happy at all. He's not done. Verse 52. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? He's right. Isaiah came. Poor Isaiah, he got called to the ministry, chapter 6 of the book of Isaiah. You know the part we never talk about is the part where God, after calling him, we always stop it. Here am I, God, send me. That's where the story's happy. Then right after that, God's like, oh yeah, nobody's going to listen either. They're going to reject you, every one of them. And then you got Amos, this farm boy from the south, goes up to the north. He tries to tell them about God. They chase him back down to his farm. They don't like him. Jeremiah, they call him the prophet. Hello, the weeping prophet. Not one person would repent during his ministry. He's just going to weep. He said, you rejected all the prophets. Which ones did they not persecute? They killed those who foretold the coming of the just one. Who's that? Who's, the just one is Christ, and who foretold the coming of the just one? John the Baptist. He said he was out there preaching in the wilderness. He was trying to tell you guys you killed him. And then the worst. Everybody is trying to tell you about the Messiah. You killed them off, he said, and then the Messiah came. You waited for days. All you talked about, Messiah, Messiah, Messiah. And then he came. And just because he didn't look the way you thought he would look, and he talked the way you thought he would talk, and he didn't act the way you thought he would act, and he didn't overthrow the Roman government and set up this big Jewish kingdom in Jerusalem, you killed him too. Not happy. They're not happy at all calls them betrayers and murderers of the Messiah. And then in verse 53, says, you've received the law by the direction of angels and not kept it. He says, and the worst part about all of it is you persecuted the prophets and, and you rejected the ones who were going to tell you about the Messiah and you rejected the Messiah and you were the ones that should have known better because you had the law. And you look at the Gentiles dirty. So they're not happy. And in verse 54, they show. This is pure childish here. I, I love... I, I, the guys in our youth group know I love the Jewish anger customs, okay? <laughs> I love it. We talk about the tearing of the cloak all the time. You know, when blasphemy happens, ah, they tear the cloak. And we talked about how what you did that with your parents. You know, if your parents, like, go clean your room, and you're just like, <laughs> a bunch of kids walking around with torn shirts and, and red marks on their face from getting slapped like Danny just did the slap back there. Uh, here's some more Jewish anger customs. When they heard these things, they're cut to the heart. It messed them up. They didn't like this. Nobody talks to the Sanhedrin this way. And they gnashed at him with their teeth. Like a rabid dog. Can you imagine, can you imagine Stephen? You say all this. And you got 70 men at you. You probably take a step back. I don't think Stephen did. He'd probably take a step forward knowing his personality. And then verse 55, but he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven. He's got all these men gnashing teeth at him, and he looks up into heaven. That shows you where his mind's at. And he saw the glory of God. What is the glory of God? That's the weight of who he is. He saw the weight of who God was. He looked up and saw that, the glory of God. And Jesus standing at the right hand of God. If the President of the United States walked into this room, I don't care what you think about his politics, he's the president, you stand up. I talked about him this morning, I'm going to talk about him again. If David Ortiz of the Boston Red Sox 
walk through those doors, I'd stand up for the man. I respect him that much. There are a lot of people that if they walk through the doors, they stand up. Billy Graham, for all that he's done for the Lord and in the kingdom of God, you want to talk about a passion for legacy? If Billy Graham came through those doors, I would stand up. My favorite Bible teacher, John MacArthur, he comes through the doors, I'm standing up. Okay? Here's Jesus standing. Look throughout the whole New Testament. You're not going to find them standing again. This is it. It's the only time he stands at the right hand of God. That's amazing. Standing up for Stephen. He stands up. And I think what he's saying is, I feel you, Stephen. I'm with you. Remember when I told you, and lo, I'll be with you always, even until the end of the age? I think the disciples probably relayed that message to Stephen. And it's becoming a reality right here in this moment. Here's Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And Stephen sees it. And he said, look. Remember, these people do not think Jesus is God. Look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. That's it. They can't take anymore. Verse 57. They cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran at him. If you've got a New King James Bible, what does your next two words say? Anybody reading the New King James? With one accord. Seventy Jewish men. Could be 70 plus. A lot of people think there are more than just 70 in the Sanhedrin by this point. Hands over the ears. They stopped their ears. Some of them may have just used fingers. Some may have gone hands. I don't know. They're making earmuffs. And they're screaming. And they're running with one accord. That means they are in motion together. Okay? And they're coming at them. They're ah! Just coming right at them. Just running at Stephen. At this point, he knows the jig is up. They cast him out of the city and they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God, saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he knelt down and he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Sounds a lot like his Lord and Savior on the cross, doesn't he? Stephen had learned well. So what's his legacy? Some of you might say, well, Stephen's stupid. He walked into a situation where he knew if he said these things, he was going to die, and he said them anyways. He's suicidal. He's a fool. I think he was passionate about, his, about legacy. Acts chapter 8, verse 3 tells us there was a man named Saul making havoc in the church. He was tearing it apart like a wild animal. He went into every house, and he dragged out the men and the women, and you would think their children too, and he was throwing them in the prison. Acts 9.1 tells us that he was still breathing out murderous threats against Christians. He'd gone to the high priest and he got permission to imprison them and bring them to Jerusalem. And I don't think he was just going to leave them in prison. In prison. I think he wanted them dead. But something happens to this Saul in Acts chapter 9. Saul is on his way to Damascus. God blinds him, knocks him to the ground, and speaks to him. And he says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? He's blinded. It says that the light was brighter than the sun. He can't see anything. Who are you, Lord? He says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And he changed forever. He converted. Even his name changed. His whole identity got messed up. He went from being Saul, trying to prove himself righteous by keeping the law, to Paul, who knew he was saved by grace, the love he didn't deserve of Jesus Christ. He went on to write half of the New Testament, planted churches in Europe, in Asia, in the Middle East. 
You can read in, in, in the book in Corinthians, he talks about all the things he went through, sleeping naked and being hungry and getting chased down in the country and in the city. And it's, it's quite a list. The guy had a great resume. And you know what? I think you can trace a lot of what God did in his life back to Stephen. Did you catch verse 58? They cast him out of the city and they stoned him, talking about Stephen. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man. His name, Saul. The fact that the witnesses laid the clothes down at the feet of Saul tells us a couple things. One, it tells us he was deeply involved in what was going on. I don't know if you've ever seen somebody about to get in a fight. Even boxers do this. They come to the ring in those shiny little robes, you know what I'm talking about? they got like 90 people with them. Why does it take 90 people to get this one dude to the ring? I don't know. They get to the ring, they're in their shiny little robes, and before they get ready for that fight, they take that robe off and they give it to their trainer, right? Well, before they stone Stephen, they all take off their garments, and they lay him at the feet of this guy Saul, and it tells us this young man Saul was deeply involved in the murder of Stephen. It also tells us he consented to it, he was okay with it, he was happy about it. And I just got to think that day messed Saul up. I got to think that seeing this guy with his life on the line tear into the history of his people, knowing that it was going to get him killed, proclaim the name of Christ, knowing it was going to get him killed, get charged at, get stoned thrown at him. These aren't little pebbles, folks. These are big rocks getting thrown at him, busting his teeth up. You can imagine his... I mean, you, I don't have to tell you what his face looked like. It had to be terrible. And yet in the midst of that, before death, he cries out, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. That's got to get to you a little bit. When you're sitting there, yeah, yeah, get him, kill him. This blasphemer, kill him. And yet he's crying out, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. Who starts feeling like the blasphemer then? I got to think, maybe when Saul was like going to bed, going around all these churches trying to kill Christians, maybe when he's going to bed, like it's getting in his head a little bit. He's thinking... Man, he keeps seeing Stephen's face all busted up, just crying out, Lord, don't charge him with this sin. i got to think that's messing with his head. And it's Jesus who saved Saul and changed him to Paul. But I think it was Jesus who used that moment with Stephen to mess with him. In fact, I know it because in Acts chapter 22, Paul specifically recalls the image of Stephen shedding his blood for the cause of Christ. It stuck with him. Stephen's legacy lived on in the Apostle Paul. And the kingdom of God continued to expand because of the life Stephen lived and the death that Stephen died. So my question to you teenagers, everybody look up, if you're a teenager, look up at me. What is your passion for legacy? Let's remember a couple things. Number one is that Stephen took some risks if you never take a risk in the name of God, Satan's going to fool you into settling into a mediocre Christian walk. And that's really no Christian walk at all. God didn't call you to mediocrity. And if you don't take a risk without going to God in prayer first and calculating your actions and the effect that they're going to have, it's probably going to get you in trouble. But you do have to take the risk after going to God in prayer and calculating your actions, and looking at your circumstances. So my question is, which one of you guys is going to go back to your school and going to start a witnessing club? Which one of you
of you is, is refused to end this school year without knowing that you've invited every single one of your friends to church? Every single one of your friends. Which one of you is going to refuse to end this school year without reaching out to every student in your cafeteria that sits alone because nobody thinks that they're... You want to talk about a passion for legacy? Just make sure nobody sits alone in a cafeteria. People will remember that. Which one of you is willing to do that? If you are willing to take the risk, you're going to have to pay the cost like Stephen. Now, that's probably not going to mean you get stoned by 70 old Jewish guys, okay? But it might mean that you lose some friends. It might mean you get made fun of. It might mean you're not the school anymore. It might mean you fall down on the social ladder. I know how it is, all right? I'm only five years removed from high school. I remember. You're on the social ladder, and you see people below you, and you feel bad for them, but you don't want to climb down and help them out because you might get stepped on from the people that are above you. You just want to kind of stay where you're at and hope nobody messes with you, you know? You're just kind of like... All right, all right, got through another day here. Who's willing to go down to the bottom of the ladder? Jesus was. He was always willing to go down to the bottom of the ladder. We can even think bigger. For some of you, God might want you to lay down some of your biggest dreams for his dreams for you. That might mean that, that you're a pastor. That might mean you're a missionary. That might mean you're a veterinarian for Christ, a businessman for Christ, a construction worker for Christ, a woodcutter for Christ. Right now, i got an old pastor of mine named Dan Panther. I don't even know where the guy is. Because Dan sat me down in his office one day. He said, I'm resigning from being the interim pastor of this church because i got to go back to the Middle East. I'm going to spend some time in Baghdad. I'm going to go train some missionaries. Man, you want to talk about people thinking you're suicidal? Go, um, I'm, I'm going to go do mission work in Baghdad now. See you later. He's willing to pay the cost. But you know what? thing is, Stephen, Stephen got a blessing. He took a risk. He paid the cost, but he got a big blessing. He saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God, because God will bless a risk taker. He saw him standing. He saw Jesus standing. What happens when you invite a friend to church, and you feel awkward and stupid, and everything in you says, don't do this, and you invite that friend to church, and they come, and guess what? They like it. And they start hanging out, and then they bring like their sister who brings, like, her mom, and the dad comes. And next thing you know, you've got this whole family in your church, and they're changed. Their whole lives are changed. Not just their whole lives here, but they're not going to hell anymore. They're going to heaven now. Because Jesus used you. It's called legacy. So who's going to have a passion for it? When you're gone, how is the kingdom of God going to continue to expand because of the work God did through you? I don't want to do an altar call. I don't want to do an invitation and all that. I don't think we need to. If God's speaking to your heart, that's good. I want you to go down. I want you to eat some finger foods. I want you to go wild with it, get icing on your face. But when you go home tonight, and you get alone tonight, and you're about to go to bed, and you have that moment where you're, like, you're about to go into that really weird thing where you're in between sleep, you know, and it's just like that weird state of mind. Before you get there, get out of your bed and get on your knees. And say, Lord, what do you want me to do? And if you don't have a passion for legacy, say, Lord, give it to me. Let's pray. Jesus, uh, I thank you so much for Stephen and his story. And I pray that we won't let it go to waste. We know that you had your servant Luke write it in your word for a reason. Lord, and I believe that reason is to teach us 
that we too can make a huge difference in somebody's life like Stephen did. Who knows, we could be talking to the next Paul. We could be living out our lives in front of the next Billy Graham. We could be the next Billy Graham. God, let us not think you're too small to have big plans for us. And let us not have a lack of passion for a legacy and for your work to continue to grow even when we're gone from the places we're at. And we commit that to you. And we trust that you're going to do a work in us if we are willing. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, I thank every one of you guys for being here. In an orderly fashion, I want you to follow Pastor Mitch. Hey, how about no vacancy?